0: and pray with me as we uh, prepare to hear God's word. Holy Father, you are good and you are great. We thank you that we can experience your presence in a unique way. As we gather here as your people, and that you invite us into your presence, and that you hear our prayers like a father. A father who delights to hear his children cry out to him. Not because we are good in ourselves, but we have been made good and holy and blameless through faith in Jesus Christ. So we praise you that you are a father who loves us who knows us better than we know ourselves who knows exactly what we ought to be praying for and hears that by the power of the Spirit we thank you that you are a king we praise you that you are all-knowing all-powerful sovereign Lord of all and that as our father king you desire and do and are able to do Everything needed to bring about your plan for our good and your, our joy and your good. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us to be still and to know that you are God. Because as we look around our world, there are many reasons if we were to stare at it, to be fearful and to be worried and full of anxiety. But Lord, we... Do not put our faith or trust in the circumstances around us that are unpredictable and uncontrollable. We put our faith and trust in the unchanging nature of who you are. Help us to be still and to know that you are God. Help us to be still and to know that you are not surprised. Help us to be still and know that you are the God of resurrection who can take that which is dead and hopeless and ashes Ashes and make it alive, filled with hope and beautiful. We trust in you, Lord, and we delight to come together to praise you and to remember all that you have done through Jesus Christ for us. That you have removed our sin. You have, through your Son, taken our place in the death we deserved and given us new life. So I pray we will live as a people who are new to live as a people who are restored. And today, by your Spirit, speak through your word. pray you'll move me out of the way and give the words of conviction or comfort, whatever we need. Lift the veil from all of our hearts and let our eyes be drawn to Jesus Christ. We pray he returns quickly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, and this will... uh, almost conclude our time there and then things will pick up genesis chapter 2 verse 18 is where i'm going to read and we will get right to work verse 18 through uh, 25 says this "And the lord god said it is not good that man should be alone i'll make him a helper fit for him so out of the ground the lord god formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whenever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Brought her to the man. The man said, "This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife; they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." This is God's word, and this is a word that I will preach like walking through a minefield for you, ladies. So let me just tell you, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I'm for you. Raw, raw women last week we focused on uh, biblical manhood and that was a call for men all men young and old to stop living like passive first Adam and start leading like and through the second Adam Jesus Christ and as we transition to talking um, about women All men must understand something. First of all, this sermon is not just for women. It is for men because I believe women's failure, generally speaking, to live out godly femininity or biblical womanhood is often the result of men failing to live out their godly masculinity and biblical manhood. They are deeply connected. So if you didn't hear last week's sermon, you should listen to it. That statement is not to excuse the sinfulness of women, but it is to say that our failures to be godly men often lead women into sin. That said, I want to make clear and then have everyone understand that as bad as the world is, and it's bad, it's broken, it's messed up, as bad as it is, it would be a lot worse without women. With divorce rates, I know, we got one guy saying, preach it or praise God. And women, that was your chance right there. You just lost it. There will be others, but there should be a couple, yeah, preach it, when we go through this. There you go. But it would be a lot worse without women. Even as bad as divorce rates are right now, even more marriages would fail if it were not for the strength of women. More homes, I believe, would be in disarray if not for the power and patience of women. More families would fall apart if it were not for the steadfastness of women, and definitely more churches would fail if it were not for the faithful service and prayers of women who, statistically speaking, are about 30% more likely than men to read their Bible and volunteer for service in the church and more importantly, are 100% more likely than men to be in a discipleship process. And clearly that says much more about men than it does women. I believe that the sad state of our families and our churches and our world is evidence of the failure of men to lead their homes, as I described last week, and our communities. And what happens in response to men's abuse of their leadership or Complete abandonment of it women have risen to lead sinfully so we saw it very clearly in the 20th century historically after years decades of being treated like second-class citizens women nationwide eventually became sick of men particularly being in power and telling women how to live and how to work and all these things Leading poorly, loving horribly. That created a great environment for what we'll call feminist organizations like the National Organization of Women, whose primary purpose was to create change. Some good, some bad, but they wanted to change society and culture's structures so that, largely, sexual distinctions or gender distinctions could be minimized or completely destroyed. And women, as a result, in the 20th century and a little bit today, began to protest everything, from Miss America pageants to wearing bras. Books started being published describing the plight of desperate housewives. Laws were created, like Title IX, to uh, fight against discrimination. Unfortunately, they used discrimination to do that. And again, much if not all of this was rooted in the failure of men to lead in love like Jesus. That cannot be forgotten. This movement began by uh, attacking the language that was used to describe women. It evolved into uh, condemning institutions like marriage that were described as enslaving to women. And then finally, it kind of culminated in a a rebellion or rejection of of what would be considered normative sexual practices or perhaps healthy sexual practices because it repressed women. And then in a bold declaration of independence from um, a man's world, women embraced the right to determine when, where, and how they would become mothers. And abortion numbers skyrocketed and again this is not the complete fault of women. I'm talking about the outcome of failed leadership of men. Abortion numbers skyrocketed. Daycare centers popped up everywhere. In the midst of all this, the sexual revolution came into full swing. And women, largely feminist, began to agree that women should be free to have sex with whomever they wanted, whenever they wanted. All of this led to this kind of identifying of a new woman and this new woman was defined where freedom and satisfaction and ultimate meaning came from independence and self-reliance ironically and tragically so we've seen the final result of that that the freedom to define womanhood according to your own desires has now culminated in a man being declared woman of the year and even women are going what now that kind of backfired what we need now is not something new or progressive we actually need something really old we need to restore biblical definitions of womanhood embrace them celebrate them value them and return to what is going to look countercultural and even feel counterintuitive some just basic truths that we find beginning here in Genesis about biblical womanhood. In order to do that, we have to set a a kind of a foundation of some basic things that it's it's unfortunate that I even have to preach these things, but I'm going to start so that you understand the filter which is coming through. Men and women were created to complement one another, and that's complement with an E, not an I. It's not like, hey, we should say nice things to each other. We're not talking about that. Neither sex was designed to be innately superior, innately superior to the other in their essence or being, and and even though neither is intrinsically better, they were designed to be distinguished from one another and possess very unique strengths and weaknesses. And this is what I mean when I talk about complementarianism, and that is in many ways a a term or, or a theological a perspective that applies to marriage. We often talk about the context of marriage, and I'm going to try really hard to not talk about womanhood only in the context of marriage. I'd like to separate, if we can, I know it's hard, and a lot of my examples are going to be about the woman in my life because I'm married, but there's other women in my life, my daughters, my sisters, my mom. Not all women are married, and so we need to kind of try and figure out womanhood that way. The view of of complementarian holds that although there are gifts that both men and women have that often overlap, there are biblically designated roles and responsibilities that don't. But the foundational truths that apply to both men and women begin in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, which I already preached on, but it says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image, as the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very important verse. Couple verses. It teaches basically three simple things. One, both men and women were created equal. It's tragic that I have to say that. But I'll say that, preach that, proclaim that, remind you of that. Both men and women were equal and are equal in their dignity and intrinsic value. Men, because perhaps they were created first, were deemed as the, quote, crown of creation, but women were created as the jewel in that crown. Even if one is greater than others in some context, neither is ever better in any context. You go, greater or better, is that different? Yes, I would look at the President of the United States and say he is a greater man than me, but I would never say he's a better man than me. There's a difference, okay? So both men and women were created equal, both men and women were also created different. That doesn't take much convincing. Women, like men, are distinct, generally speaking, in how they feel, how they think, how they act. And these differences were designed to complement one another, to complete something lacking in one another and lacking in creation. These differences were designed to complement, not compete for one another in ruling creation, which is what we see often happen. And then lastly, both men and women, not only equal, not only different, but in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, like all things, creation was designed to glorify God, to display God's greatness, to talk about His beauty, His power, His character. Men and women are no different. But the difference is men and women together, not alone, display the likeness that God wants to see about His character. The uniqueness of men gives us insight into what God is like in a way that is different than what the uniqueness of women does. Both are valuable, both are special, both are necessary, whether you're married or not, those are the filter by which I want you to listen to everything else, because they apply to both, men and women. And it's good when these basic truths are upheld, when they're proclaimed, when they're believed, when they're lived out. There are many things in Genesis 1, including what I shared with you, that God declared this is good in His creation before the fall. But there was only one thing we have recorded that God said was not good. And I don't mean it was not good in sense of bad, not good in the sense of incomplete. It says in Genesis 2, the first verse I read, then the Lord God said, it is not good. This is the day 6. So day 1 through 5, good, 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 good. That was probably more than five goods. A lot of goods. Genesis 6, very good. But there's one thing that's not. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the creation of man alone was insufficient to accomplish God's mission. Man alone could not do what God needed him to do. That's implied. You could say man was incomplete, man was weak, whatever. He needed help. Man's responsibility, as I said last week, to create, to caretake, to cultivate, to coach and teach, necessitated another person to do that with. The incompleteness of humanity at this point was not a surprise to God. He didn't create Adam, let him start working and go, Oh, this ain't going to work. That, pff, we need something else. The creation of women was not some kind of afterthought. Oh, maybe I'll add this. This was part of the plan. And knowing that it was part of the plan that one was created before the other, Jesus talks about the idea of creative order. Paul talks about the idea of creative order. There was a reason why one was created first and the other was created second. It gives us a picture in an ideal way, not in a broken, sinful way like you see played out today. There was an intended order of authority in marriages, in families, in churches, even in our communities. So that idea, together with the incompleteness of of Adam's loneliness, teaches us that men and women need one another, not just husbands and wives. Men and women need one another, and men and women need to fulfill their unique callings. That's hugely important and hugely broken. So it's, we're not we're talking about ideal here. Remember that. The Bible says, as difficult as it is to hear, talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3, that on the whole, generally speaking, men were made stronger, not necessarily strong, and women were the weaker vessel, but not weak. And what I mean by saying that is that in many ways, women evidence a lot more strength than men. But we're talking about a mutual dependence. And I don't know if it was Piper or Grudem, but they said this way. Basically, both are weak and both are strong. And God intends for all the weaknesses that are characteristically masculine, all the weaknesses of men, to call forth and highlight women's strengths. In the same way, God intends for all the weaknesses that are characteristically feminine to call forth and highlight man's strength. See, there was supposed to be a complementarian relationship, a cooperative relationship, a relationship that enhanced one another, not made adversaries of one another. So we learned last week that men, prior to the creation of women, were made to work For God. They had a job, they had a mission, they had something to accomplish. And then we see in this verse, verse 18, that the woman was made to help him do that work. To help him do God's work. The woman was made to help him do God's work. The woman was made to do God's work. Not man's work, God's work, helping man do God's work. Now, Helper feels like a bad word. I recognize that. And women, if you're honest, I know that there's part of you goes, I don't like helper. Maybe you do. I don't like the way it sounds. So let me help you understand helper in a biblical way. The word for helper is a Hebrew word. It's the word azim. And it would read like this. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him an azer fit for him. Now, in Hebrew, this word in the Old Testament is used 19 times. And it's mostly used, the majority are used, to denote our greatest helper, God himself. So the word actually literally means helper like unto God. So woman is a helper like unto God. Helper like God. It is tempting, I know, when you first read that word or you hear that word, it's, it's not like this is the verse that we're often talking about in church. There's a reason for that. People want to avoid that. It's just a helper. Okay, women, no, they're married. Let's go on. we got to talk about this. You read that word and you hear secretary, administrative assistant, sidekick, But in using this word most often to describe himself, God was paying a very big compliment with an eye to women. It's the same word used in verses like Psalm 115, where it says more than once, O Israel, trust in the Lord, for he is their azer, their helper and their shield. Trust, he's your helper and your shield. See, the term is always used to describe someone who brings significant help and often as someone who delivers another from some great dilemma. Growing up, my mom delivered me from a ton of dilemmas. As I'm married now, my wife delivers me from a life of chaos. She delivers me from uh, a tremendous amount of... um, Work, if you will, that I am just incompetent to do, or she's just better at. But if I were to describe my wife, I would say, as any Israelite Hebrew would understand, I should say, the Hebrew, this term, they would have been impressed in hearing this, and they would have read it as woman is a godlike gift from God. God Godlike gift from God who would resolve. Not only man's loneliness, but help fulfill humanity's job. Women help do God's work. They help men do God's work. They help men. So if we take that, we go, okay, men had four things to do. We need to understand what that looks like for women to do basically the same things, but maybe differently. So the first thing we talked about last week was women were made to help men build. To create, women were created to be co-workers with men in building a God-glorifying culture. In other words, men are not the only builders. Women create. Women can build all kinds of things. They everything from being artistic to very practical. They can build. They're builders of culture. Women just build things differently. And they build different things. And I believe that God intended for the chief role for building for a woman was the most important one, and that was to lead the charge in building families. It doesn't mean that men are not responsible for those families, but to help in building families to the glory of God. And this is not to suggest that women would never or should never work outside the home. Many do to the glory of God, but it is to declare unapologetically that if any woman works to the glory of God outside the home, her primary purpose and fulfillment is to be found in the home with family. That's countercultural. That's counterintuitive. That's difficult for anybody who is not, by your definition, doing that and ideally though ideally the home is to be headed by a man who leads in love we don't see that but when godly men use their leadership to give selflessly and take and not take selfishly godly men sorry godly women will flourish in the home and they may not just flourish in building their own home they may flourish in helping others build theirs see when Men fail, women often rebel. And when women rebel, they will find and seek their ultimate purpose and fulfillment in the marketplace and worldly success. They will not cooperate with men for God's work. They will compete with them. And women are wise enough to see that there's a big old hole that men have made. It's called a void of leadership. They can see that. In fact, women can see that better than men can. And here's the other part they're strong enough to fill it, and they're sinful enough to do just that. They're wise enough to see that there's a hole, they're strong enough to lead, and they're sinful enough to fill it up. But God's designs are not about culture, and they're not about competency, they're about calling. What do you mean by that? This is what I mean. A teaspoon can be used to dig a big hole. But that's not what it's made for. Just because someone is able to do a task does not mean they are called by God to do it. This is not about competency. This is not about culture. It's about God's call. Women are called to build They are gifted to build. They are empowered to create. And they should flourish in that. But they should also, particularly in a marriage context, be led by men who are building. Secondly, women were made to help men protect. And this is an interesting one. Men were given the task of protecting creation, of caretaking for creation, and even caring for those who would be eventually in their care, their families. And women share and often lead in this responsibility men and women are designed to protect in different but equally important ways what do I mean by that well generally speaking men are built to protect physically and unless you're Ronda Rousey or have a black belt women are gifted in protecting emotionally now This is both a strength and a weakness for men and women in that it's not only how they're gifted and designed and naturally are able to care for the world, it's actually how they tend to abuse their roles in sin. Men are often violent with their fists and women are often violent with their tongues. One of the greatest gifts men can give to women is security physical material and every other way one of the greatest gifts and things that women can give a man or anyone in their care is emotional security and protection I think it's noteworthy that women were made from the side from a rip now many theologian will talk about well this is the idea of equality and companionship and it wasn't made out of Adam's foot or you think of all the body parts that a woman could have been made out of. It could get kind of weird. It was made out of a rib. And you're like, why a rib? Out of all things, why a rib? And I think this speaks to the power and the strength of women and their responsibility. The rib is an incredibly important part of our body, the rib cage, but any rib. It is what protects our vital organs, our lungs, and particularly our heart. And being created out of that rib basically shows, first of all, that men, without doubt, are vulnerable. They are weak. Their hearts can be easily destroyed. And guess by who the most? Women. But in the same way, a woman can also fill that heart up. As much as a man was given to care for a woman's heart, a woman was given to help protect the hearts of those in her care, and that includes men. It's unlike um, or it is like. I have to use the context of my marriage. So if my wife, she has the power to build me up or break me by her words. Now, I certainly possess that power, as anybody does, with their words. But there's women in our lives, whether they be family, moms, sisters, or whatever, or just women, they have a power to speak truth that can fill you up and can deflate you. If my wife is to say, man, you're just an awesome husband, it's like, Pow. I'm just full. She doesn't say much more. Like, okay, I'm set for the day thank you, but there's an equal power where she can say the very opposite. She can say, man, you really failed here. It might be true, but dependent upon how she says it, it will pierce because she has that spot. She has access to that the vital organ that others don't have. And that's not just in the marriage context, but it certainly is in Women have a capacity and responsibility to help protect the hearts of this world. And I could do a lot to learn how to do that better. As men, that's not our natural tendency. We're not often being criticized for how well we're protecting emotionally, right? And so my wife has the ability to protect me from hurting other people emotionally as well. I can't tell you how many emails I've written where I'll write like, you know, I'm thinking of writing this, and she'll look at it and go, Don't write it like that. You need to adjust that a little bit. Why? It's just just email. It's just information. It's not just information. We're shepherding our children. Or we're listening to, like, in even counseling situations, right? Much more gifted at hearing the heart than me. I'm just like, words, right? And I'm getting better, but I'm getting better because she's teaching me. That's her strength. That's a woman's strength. And we could do well to listen to that. But that means... Two things. One, men have to admit they're weak, but so do women. They have to admit that they need a different kind of protection as do men. We were made to protect, and women were definitely made to help men do that. Third thing, made to help men beautify or, say it a manly way, help men cultivate. But really what we're talking about is beautification. Men were designed and built to bring order out of chaos through what we've called cultivation. But women were designed to help beautify what men ordered. And the purpose of cultivation was the same as beautification. Glory to God. So whatever they built, glory to God. Whatever they improved or beautified, glory to God. And when it just simple truth, women just make things better. That's a simple truth. And what I mean by that is they make everything better. They make things look better. They make things feel better. They make things taste better. They make things sound better. This is true in our marriages. It's true in our homes. It's definitely true in our churches and in our communities. Chaos ensues when women are absent. When men are silent, chaos. When women are absent, chaos. How do I know that? I had the privilege of four days recently without my bride, and I got through it. Okay? The truth is, women make things better. And although men get things done, right? I'm getting things done. Women often make sure things get done I know, come on, you know it's true. We all know it's true. And while I believe women would do well to let men lead and cultivate more, men, and I don't just mean husbands, men would do well to listen to women more about how to cultivate in order to make things better and more beautiful. Beautification has a dark side to it. And we don't think of it this much as gifted as they are beautification uh, comes very naturally to women like they know how to make things better but it's not easy and this is where women um, are not valued and not appreciated as they ought to be beautification actually implies um, incompleteness and often brokenness it requires women as the leaders of beautification, not the only ones that beautify, but the leaders of of beautification, to do the work that the world may seem, in their eyes, dirty or ugly, or less than. The truth is, mothering isn't bottling, faithful service isn't sexy. It's usually messy and dirty, and difficult. It's made much easier when men are selflessly loving and encouraging, but that doesn't happen all the time. And as a result, as women do faithfully serve and, and, and help out in all these different ways, what we see is the same thing we see with men. There's a temptation for men to find their identity in building, and there's a temptation, I think, for women to find their identity in building. In beauty, because what they're doing doesn't seem that beautiful. And instead of being captivated by working according to God's way for His beauty and glory, they are tempted to follow the world's way for their own. And our Photoshop, CrossFit, diet crazy culture doesn't help that. How do we combat this? Well, I put it on the men. Men could help combat this by singing. What do I mean by that? I mean when the father comes and presents his daughter Eve to Adam, he pretty much sings a song. He said, last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. He's like, holy smokes. This isn't just about she's cute. This is about appreciating all that a woman is and all that she was made to be, whether she is a sister, a bride, a mom, or a grandmother. And... I believe women are tempted towards finding beauty in the wrong places when men are not doing their part to emphasize and edify the beauty that they are. As creators, as as builders, as cultivators, caretakers, like celebrating those things. We do really bad at that. We need to appreciate the God-given beauty of our women's sisters, wives, moms, and grandmothers without fear of it being received poorly. And our culture has ruined that as well. But I believe only when we begin to do that more, when we begin to proclaim the beauty of biblical womanhood and talk about it and live it out, that's the only time that women will begin to embrace what I think is a countercultural but biblical role of womanhood, one that ignores the world's kind of definitions of beauty and emphasizes what is the imperishable beauty of the heart that's what's beautiful. Lastly, women were not only made to help build and to help protect and to help beautify, but they are also made to help men teach. Men and women were both called to teach God's truth, and women were to help men do that. In the church, there has been a ton of, Said about the, quote, silence of women in Paul's letters. And there has not been enough said about wives like Priscilla, who taught alongside their husbands, or mothers like Lois, or grandmothers like Eunice, who taught their children, namely young pastors named Timothy, the things of God. Women can and do have the gift of teaching. This is not an exclusive gift to men, and it doesn't require a pulpit. And in truth, women, especially with children, have a have the greatest opportunity to teach God's truth. Now, whether or not men should be taught by women in a church or women should be pastors is a discussion for another day. I'd be happy to have it, but not today. One thing is for certain. According to the Bible, the best thing that older women can teach, whether they're married or not, and the best thing that younger women can learn, whether they're married or not, is biblical womanhood. That's what the Bible teaches us. we're going to pass on something, ladies, pass on biblical womanhood. The idea of being a creator, if you will, a builder, that helps men accomplish God's mission, a caretaker teacher it doesn't go without saying so I'll say it men have much to learn from women generally and specifically in relationships I'll use my my wife but I would tell you that my mother as well as just other women in our in my life particularly women in the church who help on our volunteer staff they're brilliant they got, like, way better ideas than I do. And then the ideas I throw up, they go, that's a bad idea. And here's the 17 reasons why. It's awesome. But I would say that my wife in particular for me is the greatest amplifier for God's sanctifying voice in my life. And men, we would be fools not to live listen to our wives and other women's words. Sometimes we can hear words of wisdom. Sometimes we will hear words of encouragement. Sometimes words of admonishment and instruction. My hope is that all the time, ladies, as with men, we are hearing words of reminder that when you screw up, remember the cross, and when you succeed, boast in the cross. But we know that where a man's failure to lead is often the result of the silence. What we see in Scripture is that a woman's failure to lead is often a result of her loudness. She doesn't have a problem talking. Women are the ones who are admonished by Paul more than anyone else about slander and gossip. Men are the ones called to pray and to speak up. And you go, hmm, I think I see the strengths and weaknesses here and the tendencies. Biblical womanhood is characterized by quietness, not quiet. Biblical womanhood is characterized by quietness, not quiet, and she will honor God when she speaks the right words at the right time and the right way to give grace in the moment, especially for men and men. So let me conclude by telling you how this is all possible. Ladies, I believe that you are help or you are called to help lead your family, but don't forget. To first be led obviously if you're single we have a different conversation to have all men are not to lead all women husbands are to lead their wives but all ladies are called to help protect those in your care and don't forget your power to protect the hearts of those in your care and you are called to help beautify everything but don't get lost or forget that the work is sometimes and often ugly and underappreciated. And you are to help teach everyone in your care, but don't forget to learn and to grow yourself. Sin makes biblical womanhood almost impossible. And in Genesis 3, this explains it pretty clearly, that the punishment for man's sin was that his work would be hard and painful it would fight him. And for woman, her punishment was that helping him in his work would be hard and painful. He would struggle in leading and she would struggle in being led. And if you look to the world or you listen to your flesh, you're going to reject biblical womanhood as out of touch and old-fashioned or not relevant to me. But... Jesus wants all women, young, old, single, married, to find fulfillment in doing God's work and, I believe, God's way. And it may seem strange because Jesus is a man, but when you see Jesus succeed where the first Adam failed, right? First Adam was silent. Jesus spoke up. First Adam, we dare say, was selfish. Second Adam sacrificed. We also see Jesus succeed where the first Eve failed too we see Jesus helping lead those he loved by serving and though he was equal to God he didn't count equality something to be grasped and he submitted himself to the father's lead we see Jesus helping protect those he loves not by proving he is strong and proving he is competent by by actually becoming weak and revealing his heart so that the hearts of those he loved could be protected and cared for and we see Jesus helping beautify those he loved but how does he do it he steps into ugliness he steps into dirt where no one else will go And to be honest women you do this often and there's a temptation to exploit the ugliness When Jesus came in and he cleansed it. And Jesus was the one who helped teach. And this is, I think, the most important. He helped teach those he's loved, not just by speaking truth. He did teach. But you realize that most of what he did to help teach was to silently live out God's truth, believing that it had the power to change. Women and and men... Jesus loved us this way that we might no longer live for ourselves and that we might no longer live for one another but that we might live for Him who for our sake was died and was raised. Biblical womanhood is not just supposed to be a response to bad manhood. It's not just the rejection of this idea of like, well, this is not man's world and i got to do something. It's the embrace that this is God's world. And biblical womanhood is, is rooted in a commitment to Jesus as Lord. And a true woman is not going to abandon her biblical womanhood because men abandon theirs. A biblical woman and her femininity remains intact as a result of a God-given spirit-empowered desire to live as God designed us to be as women, sisters, wives, and mothers. And as we come to the table today, there's two kinds of confessions I think that has to happen. One for men, one for women. And I'll speak to you men first. Men, you've done a bad job. A bad job of Praising our women loving our women and I don't just mean our wives women are still passively taught or treated as second-class citizens even in the church when if you were to get behind the scenes you would see that without women this place and many other things would fall apart and we need to celebrate and value and praise and thank the women in our lives whether it be our sisters wives, our moms, our grandmothers, or our sisters in Christ. I dare say that most men in here need to come and confess their failure to love in that way. Their failure to sing songs, if you will, maybe not with your mouths, but with your attitudes. Because I want my daughter to grow up believing that she is beautiful from the inside out, Biblical womanhood and what God has set out for is a beautiful thing and something to can pursued and enjoyed. But she'll never believe that if she doesn't see that celebrated amongst us. And for women, um, let's be honest, a lot of you are super strong. You're awesome strong. And I don't want you to be weak. But my hope is that you will come to the table and you will confess whatever place you've been tempted to disbelieve about biblical womanhood. And maybe that's a result of of not having a man in your life who's leading well. That could be the case. That's not an excuse. My prayer is that you'll come to the Lord, ask for your own forgiveness, and the strength, and not only that, ask Him for the joy to live out what God has designed for you. And together, what happens with the church, we become restored to who, who He's designed us to be, and then we create this light in this city to go, yeah, this is actually what a biblical family looks like. And you don't have to be married for that to happen. That's my prayer for our church. That we'll be a witness to the world by some really simple, basic truths about what a man is and what a woman is. Because it seems like that's the front lines battles that are going on right now. Let's pray father God we thank you for your goodness and patience with us for all the men who are here Lord I just ask corporate level of forgiveness for our failure to lead in love as we ought. we are selfish when we should be selfless we are silent when we should speak we don't treasure our women as we should we don't appreciate the sisters among us as we should Would you forgive us, Father? And for the women here, Lord, I pray that they will not look at biblical womanhood as some kind of less than existence. But they will embrace their responsibility to help men accomplish your work. Whether they be married to those men or not is really irrelevant. Together, Father, you call us to do your work, to build a God-glorifying culture to protect one another in the ways that that we have been gifted and equipped to protect. To make things more ordinary, more beautiful together. And to teach your truth together, not just by what we say, but how we live and relate to one another. Would you help us to do that, Lord? So that we can live as your people, existing in one kingdom but being governed by another. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your power to do the things that, very clear in ourselves, we cannot do. Show us our need for one another, particularly for men and women to know that they cannot do this apart. It's in the name of Jesus.